Amen. I believe that about the Lord, or I don't think that I could preach. He's perfect in all of his ways. And that means he always does what is right. How many of you know you're saved? All right, you know you're saved. How do you know? You know by what the Bible has told us about how to be saved, right? And the Spirit of God has witnessed to your heart that you're now a child of God. Okay? Having been saved, have you ever found yourself in a place where you just didn't know what to do? That is, what decision to make, where to turn, what path to go down, um, how to make sense out of something that wasn't making sense. Have you ever experienced anything like that? But you're saved. You shouldn't be having any of that, right? Because when you get saved, everything is just uh, smooth sailing until we go to heaven, right? No. I'm going to talk to you about something today out of a couple of verses that I've read many, many, many times, but... They have particularly moved on me this week. I've never preached on these verses. As a matter of fact, when I read them, you're going to go, huh? That sounds kind of obscure, but they're not obscure. They're powerful. I'm calling this today trusting God in the dark. Trusting God in the dark. I'm going to read out of Isaiah 50, verse 10 and verse 11. Here's Isaiah the prophet. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Now verse 11, he talks to another group. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, Walk in the light of your fire. Now, let me add two words to this. Go ahead. Walk in the light of your fire. And in the sparks that you have kindled, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Uh Uh-oh. In other words, the light of your own fire won't work. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us, even in the dark. Thank you that we can trust you, follow you, Rejoice in you and be comforted by you, even in the valley. And now, Lord, I pray for those that are struggling in a dark place, in a valley place, in a place of uncertainty, in a place of of not knowing where to turn or trying to figure things out because things have not gone the way they thought they would or that they thought they should. And what they thought you were going to do didn't happen. I pray you will speak to us in that kind of dark place. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to somebody and tell them God is with you no matter what. Amen. Now, I want you to just notice, let's unpack these verses. In in, in this passage, Isaiah the prophet is addressing uh, people that fear the Lord. I want you to notice that. He's not talking to backsliders. He's talking to those that fear the Lord, who genuinely seek to obey the voice of God's servant. You notice that. You among, or who among you who fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant? Now you'll notice that servant is capital S. So here the Bible is talking about deity, but I'll come to that in a moment. These people that are initially addressed, have a healthy fear of God, which the Bible says is the beginning of all wisdom. 
You can know you're starting to get wise if you have a healthy respect and awe for the Lord. That's how you know you're getting wise. They don't listen to the world's counsel, these people that he initially addresses. They're not listening to the world's counsel. uh, uh, And they don't care what the world thinks. I don't either. Do you? Because they sure don't care what we think. Instead, the people in verse 1 want to please the Lord. That's where they are. Now, back to servant. We see that he, he uses the word servant, who obeys the voice of his servant. Now, in the book of Isaiah, if you read all 66 chapters, you would find three kinds of servants. Isaiah himself is, first of all, addressed as a servant, God's servant, many times in the word of God, Isaiah. And then the people of Israel are called God's servant because they are the chosen nation, chosen to show forth the truth and the light of God to the world. So Israel itself as a nation is called God's servant. But then the third servant is the one I want to look at today because we hear Isaiah talking about the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, the one upon whom the Lord laid the iniquity of us all. There's no beauty we would desire him. His face is so disfigured, we can't recognize him. He is the suffering Messiah, and he's called the suffering servant. And that's the one Isaiah is talking about in verse 1 who long to hear, they want to hear and obey the voice of God's capital S Messiah servant, who is Jesus Christ. But we note that the the righteous people that Isaiah points to are, are experiencing a time of darkness. They are righteous. They're seeking God. He describes them this way. They're walking in darkness with no light. Walking in darkness with no light. Now, what in the world does that mean? Because they're righteous. This is not the darkness that comes from walking in sin because they're not walking in sin. They are seeking to obey the voice of God's servant. And and it's certainly not talking about like being uh, out in a really dark night or some kind of physical blindness. That's not what it's talking about at all. Uh, The darkness that he's talking about here, they walk in darkness and have no light is the darkness of not knowing what to do. Having no clear direction. Things happening around you that you don't understand. Anybody been in that place the last two years, every once in a while? Things happening around you you don't understand? You want to understand, but you just don't get it? You try to connect dots and you can't connect them? You don't understand the circumstances that you find yourself in? Uh, You can't make sense? of your context, you, you know that God lives, you know that you're saved, you know that you've, the word of God is the word of God, but you find yourself in a place where if you only knew what to do, you'd do it, you're looking for direction about something or another, or you're trying to make sense of life, and you thought God was going to move here and he moved over there, you thought God was going to do this and he didn't do it, he did that, and, and you're trying to make sense of things that if you only understood, it would sure help. Am I talking to anybody today? We feel like Jehoshaphat, who when he was surrounded by a vast army of enemies, he said, 
to God, we don't know what to do. Now, that's an honest prayer. Uh, I don't have any answers, God. This great army is coming towards me, and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle it. But then he added, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Can you say that with me? I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's a really honest prayer. And after he prayed that prayer, God told him exactly what to do. But initially, he was in the dark. He didn't know what to do. He knew God lived. He knew God was real. But he didn't know how to handle this army. He didn't know how to respond to the circumstances of his life. And maybe you feel that way today. You want to please the Lord. You want to follow his path. But the way you should go or the answers that you need haven't yet been revealed. So though you're saved and walking in the light of the truth of Christ, you're in the dark about certain things. And that's where the people of God were here. Now, Isaiah offers two options, two responses for when you find yourself in that condition. How do I respond? Well, Jehoshaphat responded by saying, I don't know what to do, Lord, show me. But, but, but how do you respond? You really have two options. And I want to talk about the last one first, because the last one is in verse 2, and the last one is the wrong one. He talks about those who in a dark season decide that they will turn to an answer of their own making. He describes it this way, you who kindle a fire who encircle yourselves with sparks. In other words, you're starting your own fire. You're looking for your own light. You're trying to create your own way out. You're trying to to kindle your own flame. These individuals have decided to create their own light. Isaiah is talking right to them by the Spirit of God. He says, go ahead. You who, when you don't know what to do, decide to start a fire and create your own light instead of turning to the Lord. They've decided to embrace what the Bible calls strange fire. Can everybody say strange fire? And strange fire means a fire that God didn't give and God didn't order, a light that did not come from him. These people are turning to their own methods, their own ways, their own machinations, their their own thoughts, their, their own solutions Instead of turning to God. And it's so easy to do. When when you're in a dark place and you don't know what to do. It's hard to sit there and wait for God to finally speak. And we get tempted to take matters into our own hands. And how many of you have ever noticed when you take matters into your own hands. You rue the day you took matters into your own hands. Right? But that's what these people are doing. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're embracing strange fire. And in times of trial, in times when we're in those dark places and we don't know where to turn, what decision to make, what path to take, how to solve things, uh, we, we, we default to a solution of our own making, don't we? we? We look to other sources, to an idol or to some source of guidance that is not sourced in God. Uh, we turn to the voices in the world. I see a church doing this more and more and more and more. Not you. I'm not talking about you, maybe some of you, but I don't think most of you. 
We get into a dark place and we say, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to listen to what the world is telling me to do. I'm going to listen to the voices in the world. And so we tune into Hollywood celebrities who are crazier than you. (laughs) Never turn to a Hollywood celeb for anything but pity because they are so messed up. They have all that money and all that fame and all that the world says is success. But their marriages are falling apart. They're hooked on drugs. They're a, they're a mess. All they have to do is speak a sentence and it tells you where they are. Don't turn to Hollywood celebrities. They have no guidance for you. We turn to Oprah. We turn to Dr. Phil. We turn to some college professor. We turn to our peers. That, that's a mistake because they're as confused as you are. We turn to talk show hosts. We, we, we go to somebody on social media that's got a bunch of followers. Let me tell you something. Crazy, loony people have tons of followers on social media. People whose counsel I wouldn't listen to for five seconds have thousands of followers. I don't get it. They kindle a fire. And they encircle or surround themselves with sparks that promise to give the light they need. But it never delivers. Isaiah will tell you, he gives the inevitable result for turning to anything other than God. How many of you know that he is the wisdom of God to us? That is Jesus Christ. He's our wisdom. He's our knowledge. He's our understanding. He's our counselor. You you shall call him mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor. What does a counselor do? A counselor counsels. Jesus is our counselor and he's free. But here's what God says about those who turn and they try to light their own fire. They try to create their own solutions. He says, you who live in your own light and warm yourselves from your own fires and not from God's, you will live among sorrows. I'm going to read that again. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves from your own fires and not from God's, you will live among sorrows. Because your own light and your own solutions or the world's voice will never really solve what you need. They will never pull out your problem by the roots. But when you go to God, he says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And he gives a clear word of guidance and direction and counsel. Amen. So what is God's answer when you're in the dark and you just... Things aren't making sense and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and life's not adding up and, and you don't know where to go and where is God? I had somebody last night, I was counseling and, and I love them very dearly, uh, but this, this brother said to me, I've been through the worst valley of my life. It's like God just stepped away and I couldn't find him anywhere. And I said, what are you doing tomorrow about 9.20 in the morning? And he said, nothing. I said, tune in because I'm going to talk to you. And the word is going to talk to you. Because God has an answer. He didn't go anywhere. God is there. Amen? Now, Isaiah says, you want to know what to do when you're in the dark and don't know which way to turn? You trust in the Lord. You trust in the Lord. You trust in the name of the Lord. And you rely upon your God. You wait upon God. You trust in the name of the Lord. I don't think you can underestimate or shortchange The whole thing of trusting in God. It reminds me of the very famous verse in Proverbs that says, I love this one, and we all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Amen? Isaiah says, you want to know what you do when you're in the dark? When you're in a dark place, you're in a valley, don't know where to go, where to turn, what to do, what decision to make, you trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because your own understanding sometimes can't figure it out. So he says, don't lean on it where you don't experience peace unless you come to a place where you understand everything. Because folks, sometimes we're just not going to understand. But you got to trust God anyway. I've got a file cabinet in my life, a file cabinet in my mind. And it's called, it's labeled, things I don't understand. And it's full of things I don't understand. But I don't have to understand everything in order to experience the peace of God. I have to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And lean not on my own understanding. Because my own understanding is so finite, it's so limited. He said, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will, he will, say with me everybody, he will do what? Direct your path, show you where to go. Another version puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't try to figure everything out. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Isaiah says trust in God. And that means you trust in his character. I had another young man talking to me recently this week. And he said, he said, Jeff, I'm so struggling with the fear of death. I'm struggling with my mortality. I'm just struggling with it. And and I'm struggling with, am I going to have enough money for this and that and the other? And I said, listen, the things you're worried about, Jesus commanded us not to worry about. Do you know that in Matthew 6, four times, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He commands us not to worry. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, eat, or drink. Don't worry about tomorrow. I said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't borrow from tomorrow's problems and bring them into today. A lot of you, tomorrow that hasn't arrived is exhausting you today. And the Bible says, Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about life in general. And so I told this young man, I said, why are you worried? He's got it. And, and if you pray, he'll take it off of you. But so many times, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen. Now, in, in light of this, he says, I, I'm going to show you the path to take. I want you to turn to me. I want you to trust me. You can trust my character. You can trust my goodness. You can trust my integrity. You can trust my word. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to guide you. So I want to give you three anchor truths to carry you through the, the dark season when you're wondering what to do, when you don't have the answers you want. Here's the first anchor truth. You ready? He is moving. I want you to say with me, he's moving, though you can't see it. He's moving, though you can't see it. You don't have to see it for God to be moving. No, you're not aware of most of what God does, and neither am I. One of the Psalms that really anchored my soul in a particularly dark time in my own life, many years ago, I was in one serious dark hour. 
And this psalm I had never seen, and it jumped out at me, and it grabbed me by the throat, and it went down into my heart, and it really became an anchor to see me through this valley I was in. And here's what the psalm says. Your way, this is the psalmist talking to God. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You know what he's saying there? You were moving, and I couldn't see it. You were moving, and I didn't perceive it. You were acting on my behalf, and I didn't see the footprints. But you were carrying me. You were moving sovereignly on my behalf, even though I was completely unaware of it. I didn't know it. And he's moving in a way you can't see. He's moving right now to undertake for a lot of you. He's doing things behind the scenes that if you saw all of it, you'd be jumping up and shouting and I couldn't even finish this message. No, no, God's moving all the time in ways that we cannot see. When I was, uh, several times in my life, I've had aquariums. I, I like aquariums. I like watching the little fish swim around, uh, especially at night. It's very soothing. They have that little aquarium with the light on and those fish are just swimming around and, and they're in their little aquarium. And one day I was sitting in a chair in the bedroom and all the lights were out and the aquarium light was on and there were several fish swinging, swimming around in that aquarium. And I began to think, they're in that little aquarium world. They have no clue that a being infinitely superior to them is sitting here watching them. They have no idea that I am moving all the time on their behalf. They're just in their little bubble, swimming around, saying, hey, how's it going? They have no idea that beyond their aquarium is a room. And beyond that room is a house. And beyond that house is a neighborhood. And beyond that neighborhood is a city. And beyond that city is a state. And beyond the state, a country. And beyond the country, a world. And beyond the world, a universe. No, they don't know about any of that. All they know is every once in a while, a hand plunges into the water and moves their little world around and fixes their little house and cleans up their little environment and drops food in there for them. No, 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 they don't even know that. They're not aware of most of what I'm doing outside the aquarium. You got it? I even wonder one day, I wonder if there's a controversy with the fish. Some believe in the hand and some don't. Some, some believe in the hand that comes in every once in a while and some don't. And, and, and there's a controversy among them. You've got the, those that are atheists regarding the hand and those that are believers regarding the hand. And they talk to each other. And the atheists say, well, I've never seen a hand. And, uh, no hand has ever touched me. I don't believe there's a hand. But then there's others who, who have been touched by the hand or been right there when the hand went down into the aquarium and moved things around. And they testify, I've seen the hand. As a matter of fact, one day that hand came in and I went right up to it and it touched me. It touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. No, I'm going too far. And so I wonder, you got your atheists, you got your believers, and you got your agnostics. They're not sure. They've heard about the hand, but they've never seen it themselves. But those that have seen it and touched it are so convincing. But my point is this. They have no idea that most of the activity that I involve myself in regarding them, they are 
totally unaware of. But that doesn't mean I'm not moving. That doesn't mean I'm not taking care of them. That doesn't mean I'm not aware of their needs. So say with me, he's moving, though I may not see it. And a second anchor truth is he's growing you because you need it. Why are you find yourself in a place where you don't understand everything? Why do you feel like you're in the dark? Why do you feel like you don't have the answers you wish you had or you're waiting on direction and it just seems like it's not coming? Why, why are you in this place? You know you're saved and you're right with God, but you're in a level of dark. Well, the times when we're in the dark with no clear path are the times when God grows our faith the best. Amen. Hear me now. Hear me on this. In the 23rd Psalm, David talks about the valley of the shadow. Valley of the shadow of death. Now think about that. If you're in a valley, there's darkness. There's a shadow. Because the sun is obscured in the valley. The sun is obscured by something because there's shadows. You only know there's a shadow if the light is shining and something is blocking it, and that causes a shadow. So the, the valley is a place of shadows. Valley times are shadow times. When it seems dark. And the sun is obscured. On the mountaintop, you see the whole world stretched out in front of you. You can watch the, the curve of the earth on the horizon when you're way up on a mountaintop. But in the valley, you're going step by step. You can see just what's in front of you. You don't have the view that you have on the mountaintop. But here's the deal. Every good shepherd knows that the valley is where the rivers and the streams and the springs and the quiet pools abound where they can give their sheep a drink. He leaves me beside the still waters. And it's the place of the best grazing land for the sheep because it's where all the water is. And so in other words, the valley, though it's a darker place, it's the place where the greatest growth is, the greatest foliage, the greatest opportunity for sheep to be fed is in the valley. In the valley, he's growing you because you need it. Well, I feel pretty mature, Pastor Jeff. I don't feel like I need to grow. You just showed you need to grow. One Christian poet wrote, sometimes life seems hard to bear, full of sorrow, trouble, and woe. It's then I have to remember it's in the valleys I grow. If I always stayed on the mountaintop and never experienced pain, I'd never appreciate God's love and I'd experience little gain. Forgive me, Lord, for complaining when I'm feeling so very low. Just give me a gentle reminder that it's in the valley I grow. James says, dear brothers, in your, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to, listen to this, grow. When? When is my patience going to grow? When I'm having to be patient. That's why you're always ending up behind that driver that makes you crazy. That's why you've got that one person in your life that is like the chalkboard and you're the fingernails. So he says, let it grow. Everybody say, let it grow. Let what grow? My patience, let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. 
We love God delivering us from problems. But you know what God chooses to do nine times out of ten? Deliver us in the problem. He doesn't take us out. He takes us through. Come on, everybody. Yeah, he takes us through. Why? Because it's in that going through it in the valley of the shadows that we grow best. Our roots go go deeper. Our branches go higher. Our faith gets stronger. Our walk gets tighter. It's in the valley. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character. Full and complete. Peter chimes in with this. He says, in, your, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Now listen to these next three words. If need be. You have been grieved by various trials. Well, what's the need that we grow? See, that's, that's the need. So he's growing you because you need it. He's growing me because I need it. I don't want things that try my patience. I don't pray for them. They have a way of getting to me all on their own. Right? Now the third anchor truth is this. When you don't know what to do, when you're in the dark, when you're looking for guidance, looking for instruction, trying to understand, he is there though you may not feel it. He's there though you may not feel it. He's moving though you may not see it. He's growing you because you need it. He is there though you may not see it. He's there, he's there, he's there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will never walk out on you. I will never file for divorce. I will never betray you. I will never lie about you. I will never slander you. I will never not love you. I will always hold you close. I will always watch over you. I am always there even in the times of darkness. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark like a lot of you. And my mother decided that so that I wouldn't be kept, op- uh, kept awake at night, that she was going to shut my bedroom door when she put me to bed. Now, I'm seven or eight years old, and I'm terrified of the dark. I can't tell you the kinds of things I imagined were under my bed or in the closet and things that I would imagine when that door, because she would shut the door, and I would be in the dark. And, and, and I said, Mom, please don't shut the door. She said, it's going to keep you up, the noise out here, the TV and all that. So I'm going to shut the door. And so, so I began to do something. When fear began creeping in, here's what I did. My little mother is, is probably listening to this. I'd say, Mom, are you out there? And she'd say, I'm right here. Eventually, I learned to trust her presence even in the dark. Likewise, we learn to trust God's presence in dark times. One quick story, and I'll close. When I graduated with my bachelor's degree at UNT in Denton, I just knew I was going to go take the world by storm. I was ready. I was burning to preach the gospel. I had done what God told me to do. I thought I was finished with school. I was way not finished yet, but I thought I was. And when I walked across the stage and took that diploma, I was thinking, all right, world, here I come, the next Billy Graham. Watch out. Make the way. Look out. I'm going to tear it up. I'm ready to preach. I wanted to preach so bad. It was just oozing out of every pore of my skin, and nothing happened. It was a great, big, nothing burger. I sent out 
uh, uh, letters of recommendation from all kinds of top-name people, well-known people who I knew, who, who gave me a good letter of recommendation. Sent them out to all kinds of churches. Not one solitary response. I feel sorry for me. Come on. <laughs> Not one response. And, and, and I, began to, I began to spiral. I didn't understand, folks. I, I, I would look up and say, Lord, the, the world is going straight to hell. Here I am. Send me. I want to preach. I want to teach. I want to reach. I want to communicate. I'm here, Lord. I, I'm giving myself to you and nothing. I didn't understand. I was saved as the day is long, but I did not understand my context at all. Not at all. And so I started spiraling. I started doubting. I started having a real battle. The devil would come to me and say, look at you, big shot. You thought that when you graduated, you were going to take the world. You're not even taking the smallest church in town. Look at you. Where's God? Where's your God? And began to attack God in my mind. The only thing that kept me afloat is I had this little book uh, full of many biographies of Great movers and shakers from the past, like Spurgeon, Whitfield, Wesley, Luther, people like that. And the only thing that kept me afloat was reading about how God led them, used them, broke through for them, answered them. And I, every day I would get down because what I was doing was selling mace in the daytime and painting office complexes at night. And I was going, is this what I went to school for, this? And one day I was really down. Me and my late wife, Kathy, we were living in an apartment complex affectionately called Rocha Villa. <laughs> yeah, it was called Rocha Villa. And it was really cheap and understandably so. And, and I was in this apartment. And it, during this time, we took care of this little Down syndrome girl. She was about... 10, sweetheart. And our friends, it was their daughter, and they asked us to watch her some, and so we did. And so I'm, one day I'm, I'm coming out of the bedroom after reading uh, about one of the biographies, and I'm down, and I sit in a rocking chair, and I'm just thinking, where is God? Because now it's been almost a year since I graduated, and nothing. And this 10-year-old Down syndrome girl, she comes over to me, and she gets in my lap, and she grabs my face, and she points it where I have to look at her in the eye. Jeff, we, God's going to take care of you. And I got so convicted. I said, out of the mouth of babes, I said, you're right, sweetheart. He's going to take care of me. And I didn't see God moving outside the fishbowl. But he was moving outside the fishbowl because not long after that, I got an invitation to lead this little Bible study group in East Texas, which soon became my first church. And God was telling me, you're not a world-traveling evangelist. You're a pastor. And, and I wanted you to be still so I could show you the right direction. So, so in, in being still and, and being forced by God to wait, his sovereignty was moving the whole time, though I didn't see it. I needed to grow, though I didn't believe it. And he was with me, though I couldn't feel it. 
And he opened that door, and I've been pastoring ever since. And that little sweetheart grew up, and I don't know where she is right now, but God spoke through her to me. Amen? Amen. So in my dark place, he was moving. Can we stand together? How many of you are aware you're in a fishbowl? There's very little you can see. That's why Paul said we see through a glass darkly. We see through a glass darkly, not face to face. We, we, thank God when we go to heaven, we're going to see it all. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? I want everybody here to lift up your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, though I don't understand like I wish I did, and sometimes I don't know which direction to go, and sometimes I'm in a valley of the shadow, and it's dark, but Lord, help me then to take the hand of the shepherd and allow him to walk me through it. Help me, Lord, not to kindle a fire of my own making and not to accept strange fire from the world's counsel. But I trust you, Lord, in the dark. I trust you, Lord, in the dark. Thank you, Lord. Give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.